empathy is the means, but sustainable happiness is about compassion. The internet is asking too much of people. This is the strategy inside everything. I'm Adam Pierno. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Strategy Inside Everything. I am really glad to be back. I have a globetrotting guest who uh, I didn't know when we were about to log on here what kind of accent to expect because like many of our other guests, we met via Twitter. Um, but I am pleased to introduce our guest today, Jen Bonon. Well, oh, thank you. Yeah. I know you've traveled around the world. Right now, you are Managing Director of Insights and Strategy at VML YNR in New York. Yep. Do you want to tell people before we get rolling a little bit about your journey that brought you there? Sure. Um, I have, I've worked at a lot of agencies at this point. Um, and as you mentioned, I'm fairly nomadic, but right now I'm pretty firmly planted in New York. Um, I'm working on uh, Dell Technologies, which is an interesting client, big blue chip client. And then I've got some other uh, some other work in the mix, um, working on alcohol brands, but I've worked on most categories at this point in my career at a lot of different types of agencies. Um, everything from CPG to tech to beauty to, you know, you name it, I've worked on it. Um, I think I probably describe the type of strategy that I do as very crossover. Um, I'm kind of, um, a hybrid account planner and brand planner and then digital strategist so i started in you know the digital world um doing social crossed over into user experience actually um but i i study brand and i publish uh academically from a brand point of view um so to me, it's all about insights, um, and that's where the foundation of all of this is. But you can't really do great brand work if you don't understand the digital ecosystem because that's where consumers and users are. So brand strategy for a digital world is kind of my vibe. <laughs> is, that, is that more common as you're recruiting people or meeting more people in the industry, the crossover effect? Um, of, I don't, there's not too many pure... I don't know if planner brand planners anymore no um it's funny actually so brand planning account planning um you know born in the uk but then migrated over to the us um i don't know was it the 70s or 80s probably 80s um my my mother actually worked in market research and was a client of ynr a long time ago um and we have some people here that have been in the business for uh i don't know long time and um started in market research. So you would actually get people in the US that were market researchers that crossed over into account planning. So you do still have some people that are like brand strategy and they're research heavy, um, but they're brilliant at positioning brands. Um, but then, you know, don't extend as much into the go-to-market. Um, it's a very yeah. specific skill that is needed, um, but at the same time, you, you know, is it as end-to-end? maybe not as much. Right. Yeah. I think you need some of those people that can plunk down in those key spots and then some of the yeah. people that can play end to end and think about how each different campaign, how each different assignment connects to the previous one or connects to that. Exactly. Overall brand. Yeah. So you need both. Yes, you do. I agree with that. 
so yeah, so I'm, I'm more of a crossover end to end kind of person, but I've done a lot of different types of projects from dot-com builds for big companies um, like Bayer and Nestle and uh, Google, um, where I've done big social campaigns, working on stuff in social now, um, but then I've done big brand repositionings, um, you know, like Cirque du Soleil and uh, worked on working on working on Dell right now. And that's cool. Yeah. So it's cool to have that that vast array of of category experience because yeah. then you have a vast array of consumer experience and the different ways that people solve problems and think about things. Yeah, I think um, I always tried to build my career in a way where I was expanding my skill set because that just helps me solve problems in a different way and think about things more broadly across to be able to, you know, then zoom in on something, um, you know, picking up different experiences and going broad and kind of constantly being curious about how would they do it in this category? How would they do it in this channel? How would they do it with this uh, need state or desire um, is something that, you know, I think when you only focus on one specialization, um, that's kind of where we see our clients a lot of the time. So right, I want right, to right, right. That's the value breadth. that the agencies can bring. Yeah. Breadth, culture. I mean, you hear that word all the time, but it's true. Um, and, you know, so bouncing around to me, you know, some people might criticize, but actually I find uh, makes me a lot more powerful as a planner and as a strategist. I, the values that you could see because a, a client may be so focused on their vertical, the problem they're trying to solve from the business perspective. Yeah. Thinking about logistics, supply chain, all the things that impact their product and their, their end user. Mm that it's hard for them to see from another perspective what you might see and say, oh, no, I've seen this problem before. It was in a different category. And this is sim very similar to what we faced with this beverage client. And here's what yeah. we did. It's, that's, that's the value. It's true, actually. You know, I, I recently was talking to a client about an insight that they had brought to us, um, you know, talking about, um, you know, people feel disconnected in an overly connected world. And, you know, I'm like, we see this inside a lot, actually. Um, and, we, you know, are we going to get differentiation? Are we going to be distinctive with this, creating work to this? You know, the category they're working in, I pull in, here's four other categories. You know, telco uses this, tech uses this, hospitality and travel and tourism use this. Um, you see this in CPG at Beverage being able to show like, actually, you know, you think that this is true to your category and the need state that you're working towards, but like, here's a bunch of others that are doing it too. And it kind of goes like the light bulb goes on, but they would never kind of maybe approach it that way. Right. You don't think about you. They don't compare themselves across. No, they exactly. compare themselves up and down. Yes. So, you know, I, I like being able to think that way. It also just suits my personality because I'm constantly like, uh, I like it. What is it? Um, you know, Wide-eyed at the world, way. yeah. Yeah, a lot of rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> which is a lot of time on Reddit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> which is what, which brings us. Uh, both of those things brought us to a nice little segue here to uh, an article that you shared. Uh, maybe it was a month ago mm -hmm. or so. It was from you found it on Reddit. Yeah. But I think it was I think it was written somewhere else, uh, the Guardian maybe and. It was about something, I am 44 mm -hmm. at the time of this recording. I will not ask you your age, it's not important. 
but I am what they call a uh, digital innocent uh, or what someone else, what did they call in the article? A digital oh, yes, uh, yeah. immigrant? I think it was, was it digital a, innocent. It was an innocent and then a digital immigrant. Immigrant, yes, yeah. Non, Non-native. For that article, actually, yeah. I'd never heard that. So I grew up in the time that the article is wistfully presenting mm-hmm. where we didn't have the internet and screens in our face, although... I sure did. I was watching reruns of sitcoms pretty much all day long. But still, uh, I found that really interesting, and especially in the context of a lot of your other thinking about what do we do with our brains when it's not when our brains are not actively engaged in something useful like work. What are we doing with our brains? Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's it's a space that I'm actually constantly thinking about, um, not just professionally, personally, also. you know, I think that we're in a period in time where um, we are over-engaged. There's a lot of criticism at the moment about a lot of the design thinking that went into creating a lot of the most commonly and widely used products on the internet um, are designed to keep us engaged for that little bit longer and a little bit more. And, you know, they have taken up and occupied a lot of a finite resource, which is our time and our mental capacity. Yeah. And I think it's rewiring the way that we think in a lot of ways. Um, Like I kind of the other week was like, do I have ADD? And I said it to my friend and she goes, everyone has ADD now. (laughs) And I was like, I think that's that's right. I think that's true. Everybody to some degree has been rewired. Yeah. Email seems to get a free pass in this conversation. Yeah. You know, we look at, I know the first thing people would say is, well, Facebook, Twitter, yeah. right? They're stealing my attention. They're, they're yeah. engineered to, to hold my attention. No, I resent like email. Can, I don't like it at all. I hate it, I hate but, it. I, but I'm always checking I it. I know, and I'm a zero inbox person too because I can't handle the clutter. But um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I also meditate. I'm, I am not disciplined about it in any capacity. But um, I find I need the mental headspace. Um, it is something that's incredibly important to me in terms of being creative. And I find when there's too many things happening, um, it's really hard to go deep on something. Um, there was a really amazing piece written by, I want to say, Richard Huntington about deep work and the importance of creating space and time. I know the piece. I will link to so it. So good. I mean, yeah, that is a really reading well that, I was just like, this is exactly what we need to be doing as strategy folks. Um, but, you know, the, the idea of we're not designed to go, especially in our roles, go across everything, but to also go deep on things. And I think the more you move in your career, um, you know, you the more you're kind of pulled in by, you know, companies and forces to go across when actually the value comes from going deep. You, you mentioned meditation. Yeah. And I know people do that too. It's essentially most people that I've talked to about it, I do not practice it. But um, what I hear, the way that people think about it is just turning their brain off and trying to float. Oh, yeah. Try and are you? I'm not able to do that. No, my brain immediately goes to solving problems or yeah, thinking about. Um, I don't practice that type of meditation. I do the kind where you just observe your thoughts. So you're kind of like 
watching where your brain goes, but more consciously than typical thinking requires. So it's not about shutting your brain off. It's not about, you might guide it back to a place of calm, which is your breath. Yeah. If it wanders, but there's no like trying to stop thoughts. It's actually just like letting it wander, gently guiding it back to your breath, letting it wander. Uh, sometimes I find when I meditate, I also try to think about the space in my brain. So it's like a visualization meditation. Um, like, you know, kind of going from one side to the other to the back. It's like a very bizarre thing that I've come up with myself while it, because, you know, people visualize different stuff and visualization meditation. That's kind of like the weird one that I came up with, but it works. Um, It definitely gets me out of my head. And I do find like, I'm able to write better. Um, I am able to, uh, yeah, just be, think more clearly and big picture about, you know, anything that's in front of me when I have a clearer mind. Yeah. Do you find, do you, do you think that we need to, the reason we more people are meditating and setting aside that time to do that is because of how connected and plugged in we are, or do you think we always needed it? It would have been beneficial all along and it's just, um, there's more communication about it. So people, more people are trying it. Um, probably a bit of both, but I definitely believe that it's a reaction to how plugged in we are. Um, and the, you know, the internet is asking too much of people at the moment that we have to kind of come up with a better way of handling it. Um, I mean, the human brain can only handle so much volume, um, like, you know, things like Dunbar's law where it's like, you know, social network and network theory built off of like, you know, our, in, our capacity as human beings to be able to only have like what 150 week ties and like five close ties, things like that, where it's like, okay, the internet's making me stay in touch with way more people on a regular basis right. than I'm capable of. And that is healthy for me. Um, you know, that's just one way of thinking about it. Same way with like how much content we consume, how much we are able to like get the immediate answer. Like it's rewiring the way we think. Is that good or bad? You know, um, it's kind of up for debate, but I think like, no, we do need the space. We do, we need the space. Yeah. And it's more troubling that article, going back to that, mm-hmm. goes back to what they're doing in the UK to program the a space or a policy for how the internet should be set up for children in the UK. Yeah. And what are the regulations and rules around uh, content that it will be shared with kids and trying to create this utopia, which is a wonderful idea in theory. But then as I was reading it, I was kind of thinking like, yeah, but isn't this the same, the other side of the same coin of the over-engineered platforms like Instagram, where they're saying, oh, if we could just get another 10 sec or YouTube, mm. if we could just get another watch out of people. If we could just get another, this is saying, well, if this will be the optimal thing, according to these experts in this room, mm. then shouldn't it be a wider discussion with more people about what do kids even need this? Yeah. Yeah. Have you thought about this? I mean, if it, yeah, I mean, if it's, if we really believe that it's valuable, why would it only be for children? Right. <laughs> do not love grownups. I mean, <laughs> I don't think we did. I think this, the Twitter proves that we do not. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> People can be quite cruel on there. Yes. Um, I don't, yeah. 
it's bizarre because like, I mean, the internet is a consolidation of a number of companies also that really kind of run stuff. Um, so it's, you know, and it's, it's hard to, to keep, you know, the thing I, I, I realize also is it's like really hard for people, human beings to be honest when things are at scale, you know, like you can't really show the true side of yourself when you are being public to a bigger audience, you know, it's, it's, it's real. It's something that like intrinsically we can do one-to-one with a friend or you can do in writing or you can do it. You know, I think it's, it's a really kind of trained skill to be able to go, you know what, I'm going to be wholly me at a level when you're publishing. Um, but I think it's also, I don't know, getting, getting people to feel safe online, getting people to have healthier behaviors, like digital well-being, even as, you know, this trend in Silicon Valley where everyone's kind of like, this is a new invoke thing. The reality is like socioeconomically, people that are, you know, lower income are going to be more inclined to have device usage without, you know, curtailing it. Whereas you have people who are working for these big tech companies that are kind of going home and saying to their kids, put the phone away for a number of hours, or here's your hour of, you know, like screen time. Like it's something that we don't have common sense around. There's no shared common sense around how to do this. And I think it's because of, you know, we're, it's moving quickly, like explosively quickly. And we, you know, we haven't agreed on like what this is, what healthy is. Right. And I, I don't know that people that are digital immigrants yeah. are better off than kids growing up today that are digital natives. When you see that insight of like, we feel disconnected in an overly connected world, like young people don't feel disconnected. Like, you know, like they like the fact that they can bond with their friend on Twitch and go play a game together. Like I have a guy on my team, he's probably in his early twenties and he's like a huge gamer and I was talking to him about it because I just wanted to understand the world. You know, he plays like Dota 5 and all these crazy games. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't, that's not my world. So, but I want to understand it. So I was, you know, like just asking him a million questions about it. And he's like, I love it because that's where I get together with people. And that's like where all my closest friends are. And like, that's where my strongest friendships are. And some of these people are like on other sides of the world. He used to live in Copenhagen. So like he stays connected with his friends that he knows, you know, in his life too, that he can't be around. So like, I get that. And to me, that's not like we feel disconnected in an overly connected world. Like actually there is a level of like, you know, true, there can be some truth in, uh, and friendship and honesty. I suppose now I'm going back on myself a little bit. There can be a little bit of that with, you know, how people connect in certain ways, but then there is also like a really toxic, unhealthy thing about some of our behavior and its manifestation and things like, you know, Twitter, just people constantly being cruel to each other. YouTube. Oh my yeah. God. You look at the comments on YouTube. Oh, don't, don't do it. <laughs> just not scroll down. It's never gross. scroll down. Sometimes I scroll down for a link and I'm like, Oh no, I shouldn't have done that. I, like I shouldn't have gone down on like the ads, yeah, ads and, and content that we've ran that like, you know, has scale oh. behind it. Cause it's just hilarious. If you want to be amused. Yeah. yeah. I go to Twitter and when I see an ad that has a lot of comments, I'll just scroll and I'll just scroll the feed, especially you know, for, for things like, um, like gas companies yeah. <laughs> you just go it's it's a it's incredible torching that happens in that space yeah oh yeah um, i know but i i kind of wonder if that insight that that 
keeps popping up about people feel disconnected in the connect in all this connected world mm-hmm. may just be a projection of alienation among adults of a certain age. Yeah. Like when you're in your midlife crisis, which I think I'm right in that window of time, mm. that's a common feeling to be like, oh, my childhood friends, I don't connect with as much. Totally. My, I have my own kids that are going through this. Yeah. What's next for me? But I do have contacts on the internet. Yeah. What you're just going mean? out with know. your friends the way you used to because it was just great, right? I, there's an element yeah. of that for sure. But I'm, But then I do see the insight often that it's like, young people are more lonely than ever, you know? And I don't know if that's research projecting, like somebody wrote a survey in a way that's kind of leading or what it is, but I, you do see I, I know, I know that it is, yeah. you know, that know. some of those surveys have to be, yeah, exactly. I mean, millennials couldn't have killed everything. Yeah, no. And, and, and you know what, you follow <laughs> the link back, like, you know, four clicks and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this was a PR survey. Great. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's by an agency that sells the solution to this yes, problem. Yes, exactly. Ha- happiness pills. Yeah, exactly. Right. Now, the reason I thought the, the article, reading it with the context that it was shared by you yeah, um, and knowing not that much about you when I read it, but seeing the way I knew that you had traveled the world, mm. I knew that you had worked all over the place yeah, and um, just reading what you post publicly, I was pondering it against like this, how we measure the experiences that we were afforded. They haven't gone away. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, millennials love experiences, according to the research by an agency. Um, but how do we, how do you weigh those experiences, casual experiences that seem to be harder to come by because we have a phone in our hand that's interrupting us from just being in the moment or letting our minds wander at a park or um, daydreaming? Um, both have their own distinct type of value, I suppose. But I think, you know, you definitely see people wandering farther afield, I think. Um, I don't know how unique my story is. I mean, people are traveling to further flung places than really ever before in the history of time. Um, And it's way more accessible than ever before. But, you know, creating space is really important to well-being. It is. Um, And we're constantly challenged to be able to do it now. Um, But I think introducing different types of stimulus as you create space is, is interesting. Like for me personally, I don't, I'm not the type of person that's going to do the repetitive, I mean, except for like meditation practice, but even then I explore different types of meditation, but I'm not the type of person that's going to go to the same park over and over again. It isn't in my nature. Um, but that, but I, I, I personally also, if I'm running at full steam, and I don't have those breaks to read, to relax, to wander, I suffer. Like I will, I feel unhealthy. And I think that's true, probably true of a lot of people. I mean, I do believe that, you know, human existence does contain a decent amount of suffering and everyone's is subjective and different, but for us to be able to feel um, you know, all of the beautiful, positive things that life and the world has to offer, you do need to create space to acknowledge and appreciate them. 
Yeah, and that's I think where that, I think a that, lot that of makes sense. yeah, and I think that's where a lot of fantastic insight comes from. Um, to me, um, you know, campaigns and work and communications and experiences sometimes have an enemy, but a lot of the time it's just how do we elevate what we're doing um, for people, you know, and 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 human existence. When you travel a lot, you realize contains a lot of differences, but also a ton of commonality. Um, yeah. When you, you see the same themes, you meet the same person in every place you go. Yeah, and when you boil it down to when you boil it down to its essentials, I mean, that's how I can travel in different countries and be in places that are super far flung and meet people that are nothing like me and get on with them so easily and so immediately. Um, you know, in some instances that is, you know, but because you are able to find connection on, you know, the most essential things that make us human, uh, but to be able to stay in touch with that, you need time and space to breathe and to think. Yeah. Um, otherwise separate, separate yourself. Yeah. Otherwise you get on the treadmill, you know, and you just do the same shit over and over again. Yeah. (laughs) And it's hundred percent, you know, it's healthy, I, I think. Wonder, I, I wonder what the responsibility is for people researching and writing yeah. these pieces on this generation that is, you know, trying to compare people that grew up with it pre-internet and people that grew up post-internet mm-hmm. and now a generation of people that grew up post-social. Yeah. You, it's irresponsible to even compare the the reception of those things because for someone who was introduced to each of those things along the way mm. your your mind was blown by this whole new if you grew up with a a square tv yeah with actual knobs on it your mind was blown every time there was some new thing but for my kids mm. they don't understand why shows aren't streaming all the time for free like every single movie they can imagine yeah. dad what do you mean we can't stream this like we have three streaming channels why can't we just get it yeah well, rights. You know, like I can't. I don't know how to explain all this to you. You're nine. Give me, a, <laughs> give me a break. Like once but, upon a time. <laughs> yeah, but in but for someone who grew up with it, that's their mindset. Is everything's available? Information was meant to be free. Yeah. And so it's it is hard for me to read an article like that Guardian piece about experiences and then project forward. Yeah. Someone else's wellness, especially in comparison to the wellness of a generation like mine or boomers or whoever else. Yeah. The long tail has always been an interesting concept. I mean, it isn't, it doesn't just appear on the internet, but you know, obviously having, being okay with scarcity is like, I think, uh, something that they will learn, but they'll learn it in their own context of their world. Um, and you know, having endless choice, I do resent a little bit of the algorithm recommending things to me. But then there's other times where I really like it. But there's a lot of times where I'm like, why do you why do you resent it? So I like to be able to go and explore things that I don't know. What I you know, I don't know what I don't know. I want to be able to see stuff that I wouldn't, you know, like I don't want it to be so curated where I get no exposure to something that, you know, might make me slightly uncomfortable. Mm. Um, you know, like now that's not to say like there's just, I like a certain style of shoes and that, you know, like serve me those over and over again. Great. But like, you know, 
no, I mean, I read a ton and I, you know, want to be able to read in different subjects. And if, you know, they keep just giving you the same genre, it's like totally missing the point of why I read, you know what I mean? So, um, there is no, because you want to be, you want to be introduced to new ideas Yeah, and, you know, and decide for yourself, which ones are worth chasing. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, so that, so that I feel like the algorithm is, you know, I don't think it's that smart, first of all, you know, like it, it, no. it's, it, but you it's know, it's just triangulating. It's like, Oh, exactly. you know, these two people, well, they, they were talking about someone who likes this. Yeah. So there's an element oh, of, um, there's also an element of judgment to it, which I don't appreciate sometimes, you know, like I'm a woman in my, well, I'm 36 years old. So I get a lot of, you know, like, here's what women should be doing at your age. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like, which oh. women, you know, will all kind of be like, yep, I get that too. Um, even women that don't work in marketing know that that's like kind of a little, little bit like, all right, don't judge. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That, it's a, it's a weird trope that that has, has sustained. Yeah. And, you know, given how much just changed over the last 15 or 20 years that those you'll, that people will still be shown those same ideas. Yeah. So there's also, it serves you societal expectations a lot of the time, which is a bit, you know, kind of like, oh, just go away. <laughs> you know, what would be interesting is to chart those. Yeah. To be, to be aware of it and go into the next period of time charting each one of those things to as a research study. Yes, I think, um, you know, the, the other thing is it can be quite cruel and intentionally to people who are on the fringe, you know, like, so for yes. example, if you are um, a woman, there was a really, really emotional article from a journalist who, um, lost her baby and she was served a ton of advertising about um you know diapers and this and that and right and she had been she was being retargeted because she was doing research around having a baby yes and the article that she posts she wrote a letter uh i can't remember to a, a platform maybe but you know she's like all the data signals i gave you you could have read this and you could have predicted it but you didn't you know, you did it for what would sell the products that you think that I would need and judge right. me. And it was, it was so emotional. And, um, I think that, you know, that, that's just one case example of how, um, you know, I think the algorithm can be actually, you know, not only, you know, just treat us like we're bland, but also be a bit cruel and judgmental unintentionally, I suppose, but, you know, it's really just designed for commerce. So, yeah. You know, isn't that what's, isn't that the root problem though? It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's trying to sell something. It has to figure out, even if it's a trend that doesn't have a product, they'll figure out a, yeah. you know, a pair of trousers or a makeup yes. that plays into that. And this is why I'm a brand strategist also, because I believe in brand and I believe brand has the power to elevate above that. So, you know, brand is long-term growth. Brand is user centric. Even before the idea of user centricity came around, if good brands are built on human insights, right. human insights should have compassion in them. You know, it doesn't always have to be like force for good purpose, but it should have value, right? And it should be considerate of the audience. And now that we have to consider the audience and at a level of sophistication that looks at the fringe as well. So, what do you say if um, the the journalist in question was served diaper ads by a particular brand. Mm. I, don't want to, I don't want an out of brand because I don't know the story. Well, I don't know what, what she saw or programmatically. Like yeah. she was probably served by something 20 steps away from the actual purchase that, that 
of the media that got in front of her. Yeah. Um, through, through a combination of trading desks. But how does that brand, what's the responsibility of that brand if it's meant to be user-centric to prevent somebody from seeing their brand and bursting into tears because yeah. it totally misread their, their life and made them feel judged? I mean, things happen by mistake and that I understand. But, sure. you know, and you can't expect to see around every corner. But at the same time, if you see that kind of exposure and you're on a mom and baby brand, what a brilliant opportunity to make it right and build equity with an audience that feels unseen after pregnancy. Right. I don't have kids also, but I've done a lot of research actually in this area. Um, And I think that, you know, and I'm I'm a feminist, but I think, you know, there's a real opportunity to make it right. And what a brilliant connection you can create and relationship you can create with an audience in a way that, you know, is actually doing something as a force for good that has a value in the world that is wanted. Right. And what kind of recognition that you could get. I mean, and I don't even think um, the weirdest thing is happening, actually. I'm just looking out the window in New York City and um, the women are dressed in like the red with the white. (laughs) Oh, like the for, handmade sale? Yes, for Halloween, walking by <laughs> while I'm saying all of this. It's like the most <laughs> I'm like, so <laughs> talk about context. Like your framing of this conversation is so much darker than my. It was framing. weird. It was yeah. really weird. They have books, and they're literally walking by. I was like, oh my gosh. Oh, that's so. Funny. Uh, but yes, yeah, so um, yeah, I think no, I think that I mean, that is award-winning, powerful effective work in my view yeah when when someone is paying attention yeah not asleep at the switch and not just serving it crack like it you know what I mean? yeah go crack it pay, pay attention and know this is a situation that we yeah. can and i don't be think it has human yeah. and serve people and it doesn't have to just be for that one journalist situation maybe the journalist sparks the article that you know creates the situation that we look i mean i did a big project for a brand in europe um that then went global where we talked to mothers who had it during the postpartum period in the first two weeks to the first six months of coming home after giving birth, because right. we act like it's all like, you know, the baby's here, everything's amazing. You're healed. You know, like it, it they, the, the product actually was a, a wound healing stretch marks, diaper cream. And, um, we showed women with, you know, stretch marks, bellies holding baby, you know, beautiful photography, beautiful films right. of women when the day they came home, how they were feeling, you know, like to show that it's not all rosy and like, Hey, guess what? Like you might be stealing that <laughs> the diapers from the hospital for right. and stockpiling them in your house. And no one tells right. you about some of that stuff. We never created yeah. content against it where we like said, but like all the raw truth. If you go and look at, you know, your Instagram feed, it's all the, the beautiful yeah. glamour shot of the, the happy family with the newborn baby, but that's not, yeah. it's a total, your life is upside down for months. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, that's just like one audience example, but I think that, you know, it's very human to hide things. It's very human to have secrets and the internet doesn't show that it pretends no. that that doesn't exist. And the constant connection, as you said earlier, yeah. makes it hard for you to be, truly yourself yeah 100% honest to that broad audience those secrets get exposed yeah in a way that is not really the nuanced truth about the secret that you may have totally yeah so it it gets misprojected and gosh the 
the when the internet takes something and starts running with it, it's run for your life. Yeah. So I think like, even in, you know, from a research philosophy, like when I want to really try to identify with the subject and with an audience, you know, I like to use the internet, of course, to connect with people and learn from people and observe people, you know, search behavior is like one of my favorite things to dig into from an insight point of view. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, Reddit is like a community that I think has amazing nuggets but then I also love doing like qual and I love ethnography, you know, like where you actually really get to identify with people in a way that, you know, you get, you op- allow them to open up to you. And I think even like my time in Japan, even before I like got into this field, like that was what I did when I taught English and sat with like Japanese adults telling me about their day, you know, it was boring if we just sat there and <laughs> talked about, you know, you know, like what kind of shopping you like, you know, like I'd rather make the connection and get them to really kind of open up about stuff. And, and that's where, you know, to me, I just, I'm the most inspired and happy with what I'm doing with my work. I love it. I want to close with one question about something you said earlier sure. and I will get you on your way. Mm-hmm. You said human insights should have compassion. Yeah. And I love that quote. It will probably be the quote card of the for this episode. Okay. But I'm wondering, you chose the word compassion, and I think the marketing word that we would hear on on a PowerPoint slide would be empathy. Yeah. And I'm I'm interested. Why did you choose? Why compassion? Um, it's funny. I think. Um, I knew you would have a reason why. Yeah. That's why I, I I could see in your eyes now that I, you, you, there is a reason why. So I mentioned that I meditate earlier, and I I don't just meditate. I also I'm a what I like to call a bad Buddhist, <laughs> but I, I I'm not particularly like advanced or good at it in comparison to some of the stuff that I read and some of the practice that I try to uh, to live, um, and it is a practice. But I. I believe in Buddhist ethics also, not just meditation. And mm-hmm. I find your practice doesn't go as far if you don't use and, and get involved with the ethical side as well. And having compassion is one of the biggest things to evolve beyond, um, you know, regular everyday human suffering. So I think empathy is the means, but really, if you want to elevate it, um, you know, having sustainable happiness is about compassion. And so I think, you know, people will, you know, putting yourself in someone's shoes is not, you know, you're not taking on their problems. It's not, you know, sympathy, but at the same time, feeling for it, you know, empathizing, feeling for it in a way where there's a caring involved to me is just, is more evolved right? than uh, just being able to understand. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, this has been great. Thank you so much Thank for you. making time for me this morning. I'm sorry it. to interrupt the, the parade going past your window. I hope I didn't distract <laughs> I'll, I'll too much. You, this is the, this is the <laughs> street. I'm looking at Nordstrom's. Oh yeah, the funniest. I was like, "Oh my god, am I losing my mind? Did that just happen?" <laughs> How many people was it? It was three women. Oh, okay, it wasn't a program. Uh, Handmaid's Tale, and I I couldn't think of the name of the sh- the book in the show because I, you know, I, I, but they just walked by like in like the exact costume from the show as it was 
so fun for Halloween. The timing was incredible. Yeah, I was like, whoa, oh man, that was too much. Where can people find you online? Um, so you can find me at Jen Bonham on Twitter. Um, I have a medium also called the Framework Bank, where I just publish frameworks for planners to steal, for user experience people and ex experience design people to steal. Um, there's all sorts of brand and business and smattering of frameworks on there. Um, and then, yeah, that's kind of it. Those are the two that I maintain the most. Excellent. Well, I, again, I really appreciate your time and uh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. It's so enjoyable to chat with you. Wait, don't stop listening. The show's not over. If you liked what you just heard or you've liked any of the episodes of the Strategy Inside Everything, do me a favor. I really appreciate it. Leave a review wherever you listen to the show, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever. Please leave us a rating and a review. Please, if you can, share this episode or another episode with a friend. Let them know what you liked about it. Uh, that helps us quite a bit. If you have ideas for guests, for topics, follow up on episodes you've heard, you can tweet at us, at APierno, that's me, or at strategy underscore inside, that's the show. Either way, I promise I will respond to you and get back to you right away. And listen, running this show is a labor of love. I really do it just because I enjoy the conversations, but it does cost money. So web hosting costs money. Microphones cost money. My kids' haircuts cost money. If you wouldn't mind, look at our Patreon, Patreon, uh, Adam Pierno there, and you could help us out quite a bit. For more information about all the guests we've had, anything you want to know about the podcast, uh, my two books, Underthink It in specific, or ways to engage with me as a strategy consultant or as a speaker at your next event, please go to adampierno.com and you'll find all the information you want. And if you can't, just send me a note. Thanks a lot.